This is Nomina's Mental Health Mavens, where each week we bring you guests from the mental health, addictions, and holistic care community to talk about different issues and treatment modalities. Now, just a reminder, guest opinions are their own and some content might be triggering. With that, today's guests, plural, are Dr. Michael Berry and Michael Walsh, who are here to talk with us about the home-based addiction recovery model, which might be a good alternative for those looking for more home-centered recovery as opposed to going to a treatment center. So let's welcome Michael and Michael. All right, well, welcome. I am excited to talk to you both. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about Home-Based Recovery Canada and what you guys do later on in the video, but I wanted to just jump right in and talk about this concept of home-based recovery. Well, I'd be happy to go first and then Michael, maybe you could flesh out any thoughts that I might miss, you know, and it might be helpful to provide just a little bit of background in terms of my own experience to kind of give context to why I find that a really valuable idea of sort of home-based recovery. So, you know, my background as a psychologist is I've worked sort of in outpatient settings. You know, I, I have a small clinic here in Victoria where we do treatment of a variety of things, including addiction. A lot of that would be in person and online. So we have in that respect kind of a pretty natural way to kind of compare between what it's like to do treatment, you know, in person, online and otherwise. And then I've also had some experience working in treatment centers as well and seen some of the pros and cons of that type of approach where somebody is basically getting pulled out of their life, put in a treatment center for a period of six to eight weeks or thereabouts, and then getting brought back into their life. And I think that's a level of sort of intensity and intervention that some people need, but it also leaves gaps in terms of how do I integrate my recovery into my day-to-day existence with all of the stresses, all of the triggers, and all of the relationships that are involved in that. And so from that point of view, I think sort of the home-based recovery model sort of addresses that need in a pretty straightforward way. It allows a person to stay in that environment while they move through the stages of their recovery and kind of Uh, I guess in a certain respect, apply skills. You know, I think a lot of really good treatment programs and treatment models place a lot of emphasis on education and skills building, and then being able to actually try those skills out, for instance, with your partner, your husband, wife, your kids and family, try it sort of in the real world as opposed to being removed from your environment is a real advantage for people. So I think those are a couple of the things that from my point of view, I saw as valuable for a home-based recovery model is it allows a person to kind of have continuity in the context of their own life without kind of, you know, going into the bubble and coming back, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. When I initially got sober, I had worked in a treatment center prior to Mm -hmm. that. So I knew all about inpatient treatment. But for me, I needed to be at home. I had a business. I had children. I had a lot of supports and I didn't need a lot of detox. Now, having said that, there was a couple of dicey moments for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's just it, you know, and what you're talking about there, then Michael, you know, I I don't want to kind of uh, prevent you from saying what you want to say. The other aspect of it, though, that I would sort of, you know, um, reflect back is a lot of the people that I've seen come into treatment centers talk about their professional obligations, you know, jobs and things like that. You know, some people I think have, you know, high, high impact and, you know, high stress careers and the idea of removing themselves from that for eight weeks or however long they might go to treatment is for some people just a non 
non-starter, you know, so they're saying unless I can at least maintain some level of kind of contact with my work, you know, the decision-making processes that go along with that, you know, I can't kind of go to treatment. And I think home-based recovery allows for that because in a lot of cases, a person can continue their work without kind of a significant interruption and sort of balance both of those things as part of their process. But I'm sure I'm missing a lot, Michael. What have I, what have I missed that's important about home-based, home-based recovery approach? Yeah, no, you touched on a lot of great uh, things, Michael. Um, I think for me, there's uh, there's a, a few points to to cover. Home based recovery is certainly for a low to moderate uh, consumer of substances, so that person generally would not need an inpatient experience and perhaps not even uh, an intensive outpatient experience. Um, Home-based recovery, certainly from a cost factor, is uh, much more accessible to a lot of people. And then I think the other thing is that I am an early adopter of recovery coaching in Canada, starting my practice in 2014, when recovery coaching was really not a term that was widely known in the field of uh, mental health and substance use. So now it's certainly uh, a term that is more widely used and the idea behind home-based recovery, as well as having exceptional content, psychoeducational content and skills building that one would experience in an IOP or inpatient treatment setting. We've also uh, recognized that the people in those settings don't get a lot of contact with a professional, be it a therapist or a recovery coach. And one of the things that we wanted to do with home-based recovery was really provide an intensive experience of connection to not only someone who has lived experience, but is a professionally trained and credentialed recovery coach. So the first, the 30 days of the program, the first 10 days, uh, our clients are getting uh, 45 minutes a day with a recovery coach. So from day one to 10, they have daily uh, conversations and unpacking of the content with their recovery coach from day 11 to 20 it's every two days and then day 21 to 30 it's every three days and then after the program is finished they have six months of one-to-one -one recovery coaching on a weekly basis for one hour that's a very intensive contact and we again recognize that clients who do iop or inpatient don't get a lot of contact like that so those are three of the points I think to highlight on top of uh, Dr. Barry's uh, information. Yeah, that was one of my questions is there's so many different options now for people who want to uh, get into recovery, but they don't necessarily, or for some reason they can't get into inpatient. And that is these recovery coaches and sober companions, um, outpatient treatment. There's a lot of different options out there now. Mm -hmm. Well, the great thing about a recovery coach, one has lived experience and is professionally trained and credentialed, they act as a, a connector of resources. So recovery coaching on its own could very well be just what that client needs for perhaps a more higher functioning individual where, you know, they're not kind of burning the house down and all their bridges and all that sort of stuff. Um, accessible uh, to a recovery coach can help them connect maybe do a little bit of a, an assessment, not a clinical assessment, but just gathering some information and going, you know, this might be a fit for you. Uh, recovery coaching on its own can work very well for certain people, but then some people might need to augment with a therapist or a counselor, uh, whatever their, their history is. And then maybe if that is not working, then in a more intensive 
outpatient or inpatient uh, approach or intervention would be would be useful. Okay. So you had mentioned psychoeducational support, recovery coaching. Is there any other facets of a home-based recovery program? Yeah, I mean, I can speak to that a little bit. Yeah. So I think in, in, in that respect, you know, where it begins is sort of with a proper sort of evaluation of an individual's needs, you know, so I think Michael was talking about levels of intervention, you know, and, and some people, as we've been talking about, need to go to a treatment center, or that's kind of the level of intensity that's needed. So it would start with sort of, you know, a needs assessment, you know, where we'd be evaluating whether or not, and I think we're pretty attached, you know, and I think sort of the culture of our organization and the way that we work as a team is wanting to help people find the appropriate and right supports. And I think part of that is not trying to, you know, adopt a model that, that you know, what we offer is the right thing for everybody. Some people might require more uh, of an individual mental health approach, you know, alongside what we're doing, for instance, working with a therapist or psychologist. So all of that to say, it would start with a needs assessment. And from there, we would make recommendations. And, you know, from that standpoint, we might be an appropriate fit for people. And they would then go through a process of onboarding. So that process of onboarding requires that they, you know, be walked through and familiarized with the platform. You know, it's a pretty user-friendly. We've put a lot of thought into making it a fairly intuitive platform that I think is pretty easy to use for people. So there's not a steep technical learning curve or anything like that. But everybody needs an orientation to that. So that would be their first chance to kind of get acquainted with their recovery coach, you know, and they would have a lot of continuity with that person who would sort of serve for as a recovery coach and a navigator through that process. So they would go through that orientation piece. And then in terms of those sort of pieces of coaching and psychoeducation, it's it's pretty involved, you know, over the course of sort of the initial for many people who would do, for instance, our core program, it begins with sort of an intensive 30 days where they would have 30 days, they would walk through sort of multiple psychoeducational exercises, you know, there's about two a day every day, as well as sort of behavioral exercises where they would be encouraged and set goals around doing, you know, activities in their life, whether that would be exercise based activities or social activities that might have sort of fallen off the radar uh, or been kind of, you know, overlooked as things have progressed in their lives, they would do that as well. So there would be that piece that involves psychoeducational component, behavioral goals and goal setting and activities, as well as sort of the recovery coaching piece that Michael described before that helps move them through that entire process. So for, for instance, for people going through that core program, there'd be that sort of intensive 30 days and then after that, there would be six months of aftercare follow-up where they would have ongoing contact with a recovery coach. There would be supports often in a group format to help them move through that. And I think the other thing that we're very mindful of is helping people make a plan for additional resources and support. So, for instance, some of the psychoeducation educational content in our program helps people get familiar with community-based supports, you know, and there's a wide variety for some people that might be a group like Smart Recovery, for some people that might be a group like AA, if that's a model that resonates with them. We don't, you know, recommend, we don't, uh, we don't advocate for any particular model, but we do encourage people to identify supports that fit with sort of their situation, their values, and their mindset. And so we would help towards planning in that regard, because I think for me, community is an important part of recovery. For, for many people and probably most people. So we would help people develop a plan to integrate those pieces in their lives. And I think that's another element that I that I, I believe in pretty strongly and that we've incorporated into what we do. So there's, there's sort of a few different aspects. You know, education and skills would be one of them. Coaching would be another. And then I guess what we might call sort of planning for life 
planning for recovery supports and sort of that wider plan for how to live, you know, a purposeful, engaged and meaningful life is something that we would put put a lot of focus on as well, because I think, you know, that's that's how people develop a good quality of life and establish, you know, a stable long term recovery. Yeah, yeah, that that was one of the questions that I had is if somebody chooses to recover at home as opposed to go into inpatient treatment, how do we address that connectivity, that connection that we need with fellow humans that's so important for recovery? Yeah, yeah, and that's exactly it. And I think, you know, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the things that we are doing is really helping people. I think accountability in recovery and in life, you know, is a vital aspect, you know, and I think that to like to my way of thinking, good recovery supports will help a person to have a system of accountability that's non-shaming, non-blaming, non-judgmental, you know, that allows a person to be supported in a way that feels, you know, I think I think positive, you know, and feels kind of good for them and 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 again, not punitive in any way. So we would help people to identify, you know, within sort of their life, you know, and again, their values, I think is quite central to it, what's accessible to them and what they would want to try, and then actually check back in to ensure that they they are trying those things you know i think for me in my line of work you know making a recommendation that somebody you know try something is one piece of it but then checking back in with them to ask them if they have done that ask them you know if there are any barriers and if there are helping to identify and overcome those barriers and then actually keeping track of how helpful was this for me you know if i went to if i went to a smart recovery group a few times in the past few weeks you know what difference do i notice in terms of how that's that's affected uh, my life and my recovery so I think those pieces are key, helping them identify those things, plan those things, checking back in about them, and then, you know, monitoring and evaluating how well they're working for you. Well, other Michael, Michael Walsh, (laughs) Mm. anything that you wanted to add? I'm actually quite, I'm actually quite curious about the recovery coaching model and and Mm. how they can assist people that are trying to recover on their own without inpatient support. Hmm. Well, I think so. One of the, if I want to add, also one of the things we have recently recognized is that there are some people coming our way that have existing supports in place. They may have a therapist or a recovery coach, and therefore maybe only want to access the content of home-based recovery. So more recently, we have provided access to the online content provided the person has existing supports in place. So they wouldn't be having the more intensive experience with the recovery coaching in the first 30 days or the six months after, but they would have access to the online content, again, provided that they have supports in place. In terms of the recovery coaching, um, one of the things that when I first uh, got involved with recovery coaching was I... Um, I was working in public health and what I often saw, and this is without judgment, was sort of in the acute areas of public health, like detox, for instance, I often saw a revolving door of people uh, cycling through. And um, I felt like my um, experience and and sort of how I wanted to work with people uh, could be better used as a recovery coach. And when I found out about recovery coaching, the difference between recovery coaching and a therapist, say a therapist is there to perhaps hold up a rearview mirror, unpack historical 
experiences and also present day stuff where a recovery coach is meeting a client where they're at, identifying what their goals are. And from a coaching model, using motivational interviewing as one of the, the key components to recovery coaching is help that person create a recovery plan that is very individual. Um, and again, just meets the needs of, of where that client at, is at. I have a variety of clients that I work with, um, same as people coming through HBR. People are, you know, want to keep working. They want to keep their home life. They want to keep experiencing, um, you know, events with their kids. And they they just want to continue to do that stuff. So the recovery coaching piece, because we all have lived experience and, of course, professional experience, we just help that client on a day-to-day basis. For instance, identify what their triggers are to want to drink or consume substances, right? Is it environmental? Is it experiential? Is it people? Is it anger, irritability, whatever it is in the first part of them stopping drinking? Um, identifying triggers is like a big thing. People are like, what is a trigger? And once, you know, one of the online modules with HBR is identifying what people's triggers are and then creating plans to either avoid those triggers or meet them head on. And I believe the dynamic process of the recovery coach uh, spending a lot of time with that individual, really, there's a relatability because they both have sort of been in each other's shoes, so to speak. And I think it just lends well to that client not feeling like they're alone going through the process. We um, we talked a little bit about home-based recovery as a concept, but I know you guys have home-based recovery as a organization. So maybe you want to just tell us a little bit about that, because um, I I hadn't uh, I haven't had any experience with your online courses, but I've heard great things about it. So maybe you can give us an overview. You want me to talk to maybe I'll talk to sort of the the uh, the content piece, you know, and Michael, then I'll sort of turn it over to you to maybe talk about sort of the structural piece in terms of, yeah, what what people could expect if they do get a hold of us, you know, or, or other types of things of that nature. In terms of the content piece, you know, uh, as I was sort of referencing before, you know, working in treatment centers, there is sort of there are, uh, you know, treatment centers that either specialize in addictions or I've worked at treatment centers that have an addiction stream specifically where people would sort of go into an addiction focused component of, uh, of, of of a wider program and i think a lot of them have i think you know really valuable educational content and so we basically have developed what we would consider to be sort of i mean i i, I guess i don't hesitate to say it because i probably should sort of say it loud and clear what i would consider to be sort of the gold standard of the knowledge base that people need in recovery that addresses a wide range of things you know the neurobiology of addiction in a way that's accessible for people understanding the family system as it plays into people's addictions and how it can be kind of you know used in order to help people kind of recover from an addictive behavior pattern dealing with triggers of course dealing with post acute withdrawal dealing with acute withdrawal you know those types of components that i think are foundational knowledge for a person to kind of have as they move through and then weaving in essential skills that I think are just needed for everybody, probably everybody in life, you know, that people would develop either organically or through teaching or, you know, through other forms of personal development. And this speaks to things like dealing with feelings, right? I've got a, I've got a little lecture in our program on emotions, you know, what are they and how do we cope with them? And that kind of dovetails into distress tolerance and emotion regulation, which are pretty widely used concepts and pretty widely used sort of skills focus areas in the mental health field and in the addiction field. 
well nowadays. So we put together, effectively, I think we've got about 60 different modules that somebody would walk through throughout the course of the program, 60 different learning components that all sort of dovetail into like a skills development piece. And that would be, I think, kind of the backbone of what I would consider to be any sound uh, but intensive addiction program nowadays. And that would be kind of, yeah, what we would call sort of the program elements. Michael, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I guess what I would add to that is that we have taken um, the best experts and specialists in the field of mental health and addictions. Um, some people might recognize you know, who those people are from the videos and um, ask them to, to create um, some content for home-based recovery. And then we have filmed those segments and put them into these various modules as Michael spoke to. So um, yeah, I think we've, we've chosen the best people to represent the content that is provided. These people have been in the field for quite a long time. And I would like to just add in terms of uh, being accessible in terms of how people would contact us, uh, the first thing is that people would contest, contact us, obviously, through the website. Uh, I would receive that email. I am generally very responsive to people and would reply with information that they're looking for. And then the next piece after that, if they're further interested, is to send out uh, an intake questionnaire, do a brief consult call with them, and there's no charge for that. And if they are further interested, then I would set them up with our um, one of our program uh, coordinators to do uh, a, a more intensive assessment. And then uh, Dr. Barry would sign off on that if that person was further interested in getting into the program, making sure that they're appropriate for the program, making sure that they are detoxed and that, yeah, again, that they fit the criteria for home-based recovery and not needing any sort of more acute or mental health or inpatient care. The great thing about home-based recovery is that uh, we have no wait list. So people can, can be onboarded very quickly and access the program within, uh, I don't want to say hours, but in a very short amount of time, they can be onboarded into the program and, and start very quickly. Yeah, and I'm going to list all of your information in the description on YouTube and the show notes on the podcast, because I know, like I say, when I first went down this road, my options were go to treatment or a very dear girlfriend of mine was going to lock me in her basement. <laughs> <laughs> it's a true friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how I managed to do it on my own. I really, well, I do, because I had a lot of people that were in the community gathered around and supporting me. But um, yeah, I had, to, I had to learn all the rest along the way. Well, I think, yeah, that that that, that makes a ton of sense to me that, uh, you know, the community piece, as we talked about a little, a little earlier, you know, I, I can't, you know, if I had a nickel for every time somebody has come in and said, I think I should just be able to do this by myself, you know, I'd have a lot of nickels. I, I think a lot of people have that concept or that sort of, I think, self-expectation that I would consider to be you know, just not, not really realistic or fair to oneself to think I should just be able to do this by myself, you know, in an individual way. I think some form of an interpersonal support is needed certainly for everybody that I've worked with who's working on addiction and certainly for everybody I've worked with who's working on mental health and that can look differently for different people but I think you know um, understanding accepting and just yeah, normalizing that idea that support is needed is is it's just essential.
Yeah. Well, if I had a nickel for every time that I heard somebody new say, yeah, I got this. I'm good. That's yeah. <laughs> that's right. There's a lot of nickels in that pile too, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was a pleasure to talk with you gentlemen. And thank you again. Uh, I'm a big proponent of getting information out there because I know that, that inpatient treatment isn't best for everybody and there are other options out there. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank yeah. You. Thank you so much for having us, Joanne. Thanks.